we, Senate Democrats, the House Democrats, will not rest until the dreamers behind us and the millions like them, whether they be dreamers or others, become full-fledged, proud American citizens. Welcome to Immigration Nerds. On Tuesday, the U.S. Supreme Court held an oral argument to deliberate over the White House's plan to roll back Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, DACA, a policy first implemented by the Obama administration in August 2012, which allows undocumented individuals who are brought to the country as children to receive a renewable two-year period of deferred action, effectively allowing immigrants to live and work in the U.S. safe from deportation. A policy that, if canceled, will place the living status of over 600,000 individuals in jeopardy. Erickson Immigration Group's legal writer, Con Branch, attended the court hearing and joins the podcast to highlight the core questions being addressed in this case and what we can expect in DACA's future. I'm Ian Gaines. Come join us Beyond Borders. Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today, we have a reoccurring guest, Con Branch. Yes, hello. Glad to be back. Looking forward to talking more about the Supreme Court and what's been going on in the news um, here in the United States with immigration policy. Right. Resident expert in Supreme Court cases. I really like reading them and knowing what's going on. I don't know about expert, (laughs) but boy, are they interesting. And this one is especially interesting. So tell us a little bit about yesterday. Where were we? So yesterday we got a chance to go to the Supreme Court and we started the day pretty early. We got there around around 630. Um, I think you got there, I mean, maybe even 20 minutes before I did, um, got a chance to look around what was going on. And we saw individuals standing in line ready to go into the Supreme Court and hear 80 minutes Mm. of argument about DACA. Right. DACA. Now, this is 40 degree weather, 6 a.m. If not colder. What time is it now? 8.33. 8.33. Been here since 6.15. It is cold. It is dreary. It's raining. Raining. It's cold. And there was a kind of solidarity that everybody right. shared in and being outside. It was. We were fueled by coffee and donuts. <laughs> There's munchkins here, so we're going to have to pause for a quick second. It has to be included in the story. So much like sharing that's happening out here. Munchkins. Free donuts that were being passed out. Tasty. Yum, yum. Mm. Yum, yum. See, Look at where we can go just like America, all the colors here. of the donuts together, <laughs> living. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, you got brown, white. It's all good. We're all together. We were even greeted by United States senators, members of the yes. House of Representatives, who were outside Dick as Durbin. well with us. Mm-hmm. Yes. We, we got to speak and chat with him. Yeah. A little bit. The Senate uh, nice. Minority Whip, uh, uh, Dick Durbin, uh, senior senator from Illinois had the chance to very actively speak with people who were waiting in line before he went to speak with CNN and then sat in and heard the oral arguments before the Supreme Court himself. Well, this battle for the dreamers in my life, my political life, began 19 years ago when I introduced the DREAM Act. Alongside a former colleague of his, Janet Napolitano. It's been a long time to make that trip over to the Supreme Court this morning. I'm the former Secretary of Homeland Security who created the policy, what we now call DACA. But there's hardly been a chapter written in the civil rights history of the United States that hasn't taken a long time. When you're fighting for justice, you've got to be determined and patient. The president tells us 
When it comes to immigrants, it's fear, it's hate. When I look behind me at these DACA recipients, I don't see that at all. I see courage and I see hope and I see the future of the United States of America. Yes, uh, it was an atmosphere that was very welcoming. People from all across the country, just the people that we're standing in line with from Utah, California, Seattle. I think there was uh, some attorneys behind us from Oklahoma. There were some right. attorneys from Oklahoma City. We stood in line with two all individuals who are DACA one. recipients. Mm -hmm. A gentleman that we stood in line with, his wife, it actually works with um, children who come to the United States under temporary protective status right. and helps them as refugees find a place in the United States. Really, right. really extraordinary opportunity. We made some great friends. Right. Um, it was really, really, we, it was certainly felt like we were there for history and it was a good, right. it was, it felt good being there for it absolutely absolutely so to help wrap our minds around this case it circles around two major questions first is daca reviewable by the supreme court and secondly is the DHS decision to wind down DACA lawful? These two questions, they can be looked at like this. First, the question of justice ability, whether or not the court has the ability to look into this question and determine whether or not um, a solution can be found, first of all. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said before, secondly, if this is something that can be reviewed by the Supreme Court, if the agency did follow the proper steps in getting rid of DACA. Mm -hmm. And that's a question that has to do with a piece of law called the Administrative Procedures Act or the APA, as you'll commonly hear it. The Administrative Procedures Act, also known as the APA, is a federal law enacted in 1946. Its purpose is to govern administrative agencies of the United States, such as the FDA and the EPA. The APA requires agencies to keep the public informed by providing clear and legally valid rules and regulations and forces them to establish uniform standards of rulemaking. The APA also requires agencies to provide the public with the opportunity to participate in the rulemaking process. What's important about the APA, that it requires to set aside agency actions that are not subject to formal trial-like procedures. The court must conclude that the regulation is arbitrary and capricious, an abuse of discretion, or otherwise not in accordance with the law. And that seemed to be in the, the conversation what the issue was circling around. Right. So two things that the court is considering right now, justice ability, whether or not this is something that the court can take on. And then if it's something that the court can take on, whether or not the government agencies in question followed the Administrative Procedures Act, the APA. There's a part of the APA called Section 553 that has to do with the necessary steps that each agency has to do. They have to have a comment period. They have to take in information before they issue some new rule or they make a policy decision. And if an agency did not go about taking those steps, their conduct can be found to be improper and their actions be struck down. Right. And this all began because the administration was having difficulty at the lower courts. Right. Correct? So as we all know, DACA was implemented in 2012. Mm. President Trump came along and decided that the policy would no longer exist. And when the attorney general at the time, Jeff Sessions, announced that the policy that DACA would no longer be implemented, he noted that it was an illegal move by the previous administration. That's why right. he wanted to get rid Unlawful of it. Unlawful and unconstitutional. Correct. In other words, the executive branch 
through DACA, deliberately sought to achieve what the legislative branch specifically refused to authorize on multiple occasions. Such an open-ended circumvention of immigration laws was an unconstitutional exercise of authority by the executive branch. That was a justification that they have for getting rid of it, and the justification that they used in the lower courts as well. Now, at the Supreme Court level, they're arguing that, along with trying to argue that it is within the discretion of a government agency to strike down this rule. And these hmm. two sides, first saying that it is illegal, but also then saying on the other side that it is within their discretion, they conflict. And that's right. a question that several of the justices have asked. So what you're saying is that it can't be unlawful, but then also the administration to have the discretion to enforce policy. Right. If it's lawful, there need to be no discretion. It's not a. It's not something that you need to justify. Right. But there was also an attempt to justify it with memos, with reports, with a lot of what was proven in court. They have mm -hmm. examples and evidence, and they pointed that and they say, this is us showing that we did the necessary song and dance. Right. However, we didn't need to do this necessary song and dance because this is an illegal policy anyway. You can't have both. You can't have it both ways. And right. I think that's what the Supreme Court right now is trying to differentiate. So... It seems like the administration is having a tougher time justifying this position of it being unlawful, right? Can they go back on this initial position? The arguments that they've made in the lower court are the arguments that they now have to continue to make at the Supreme Court level. Okay. There's no going back and saying, well, it is lawful and we have discretion over it because they will probably have an easier time of justifying why they want to wind down DACA if they say, yes, it is lawful, it is legal, but us as an administration are using our discretion to wind it down, right? They will have an easier pathway of justifying that position. So what we do know now is that this is a very difficult question that the Supreme mm -hmm. Court is going to be taking on with evaluating Department of Homeland Security against the regions of the University of California and the two other consolidated cases. It's mm -hmm. a big question that has to do with executive authority and the power that the executive has, especially in immigration policy. What we're hoping for or hoping to learn in June is the way the Supreme Court will come out in reaching a decision. Mm -hmm. Will they determine that this is something that they can take on? Did the Trump administration act appropriately in rescinding this rule? Did Jeff Sessions make all of this a bit more difficult in calling this law unconstitutional, or this policy, I should say, unconstitutional and improper? What would be the circumstance or the scenario where this administration would wind down DACA? Where something like that would happen is if the Supreme Court said that, yes, this is a question that we don't need to take on, or this is a question that we should not be taking on because okay. this is within the discretion of the administration or because- So they will relinquish responsibility in that sort of sense. Not relinquish responsibility. I think that's a big move on the Supreme Court to say this is something that we're not going to handle because the Supreme Court handles a lot of issues from the right to marry to life and death instances. This is, right. this is something that the Supreme Court would not be deferring, but instead mm -hmm. saying very clearly, this is a boundary of our power to understand and interpret the law and especially interpret the conduct engaged in by the other branches of government. Because mm -hmm. this is what this case comes down to, is a question of what is the privileges, the powers, the abilities of the executive, and especially mm -hmm. in this instance when it comes to immigration policy. How would you see it working out on the other hand? Right. On the other hand, when DACA was implemented, it was a rule. And mm -hmm. that subsequently, if it were to be rescinded, 
then the Trump administration would have to go about the necessary song and dance, the Section 553 requirements of the Administrative Procedures Act. They'd have to announce that they'd be going about getting rid of this rule, or they'd have to have justification enough, information, facts, because of how interconnected DACA recipients are to the American scheme in the way of business, in the way of benefits, in the way of services. They are so ingrained in our culture. If removing them from that would be the policy initiative right. of this administration, they right. have to have justification and all of the possible outcomes mapped out. Right. And I think Sotomayor, she brought that up as a argument, how we rely mm-hmm. on these people and their jobs and their economic contributions. Not only and, that, but also kind of the, pr- right. the promise of the president, the current president um, made to Dr. And does the administration take that into consideration right. fully? Is there a plan in place if there is a need for individuals to remain in the United States or leave the United States and go to their home countries? Is there something in place to offer protections for them to guarantee that they're able to travel safely if they're to remain in the United States? Is there a path for them to citizenship? Is Mm -hmm. there a way for them to, for example, travel? I learned yesterday of someone's experiences with not being able to receive advanced parole. For example, in line, we were um, talking with a woman named Andrea who talked about her inability to receive advanced parole because of the current administration. Are there any provisions in place for individuals who may need to see family and things like that. All these things are things that Justice Sotomayor, in her question, made quite clear were not considered and were not detailed when this Mm -hmm. administration decided to reverse and withdraw DACA as a policy. Right. If this doesn't come down to a decision or clear-cut decision, whether that's on the administration side or through the Supreme Court, it leaves around 600 to 700,000 individuals in truly a limbo state, right? Without a true status. Individuals who have lived in the United United States for possibly all their lives, who may have come to the United States when they were very young, individuals who may not know their foreign, I should say their mother tongues, for some members of the court, in their questions, they've made quite clear they don't see the evidence supporting that. So with all that taken into consideration, what do you think is most likely to happen? We know this. When a justice is asking a question, they might be asking it to get a point across, but they're also asking it to help convey to the other members of the court where they should be going the way that the opinion should look, the considerations that have to be made, the weight of the opinion that will result from Mm -hmm. this. Absolutely. And um, I know that that's something that a lot of Americans, and especially the 600,000 DACA recipients, will be looking at in June when the Supreme Court issues this opinion, which has been already in November a very contentious term. For more content and immigration updates, follow us at IMMNerds. Thanks for listening. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week. Nora? It's not my name. Why not weigh in? What? Nori? Oh, Nori, Nori. Oh, come on. Oh, man. See, we met oh, buddies no. here in line, and I'm messing up the name. Is she asked before you by name. She was like, where's he she didn't say that. She sure did. I turned around, you weren't there. She sure did. I was just going to send you a text to say that Nori was asking about where you were. Oh, man. So nice. All right, Nori. Um, oh, I mean, what do you want me to chime in on? <laughs>